Welcome back to Every Mother's Son and our latest installation of Will's World, where we bring you monthly breakdowns on some of the most significant connections to William Shakespeare and his texts. You can expect to hear us share about how the world influenced his writings, or about how his writings influenced the world, or maybe both. Before the holiday, we started in on our journey through David Shapiro's book, Shakespeare in a Divided America, where we broke down how public servants and citizens alike use Shakespeare's work as a lens. We found many examples of politicians and artists using the Bard's text to debate or even shed light on topic, topics such as immigration and colonization. Today, we're going through a chapter deeper into Shapiro's book to figure out how the United States people and their government saw marriage, spousal roles, and how Shakespeare fit into it all. Please, join us in this discussion featuring one of Shakespeare's most hated plays. It's sure to be a good one. Welcome back, you guys. Hey, how's everyone doing? Hey, it's good. It's good to see you all after a little holiday break. Winter recess, for sure. I think we all needed yes, it. a little bit needed. Yeah, yeah totally. Definitely. But I'm excited to be back and talk about this chapter. I really liked it. I know. It wasn't uh, what I was expecting to learn about, and we'll talk more about my misinformation about some of the things <laughs> uh, in this chapter. Um but yeah, we thought uh, diving into the new year would be interesting to uh, talk about James Shapiro's chapter called Marriage, um, which uh, really focuses on Taming of the Shrew and how productions of that were started to be put on in the Americas in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and then a Shakespeare musical called Kiss Me Kate. Which is um, not a Western. And it's still... It is not. Well, okay, so the story, my misinformation is I fully believed <laughs> for a long time until I read this chapter that Kiss Me Kate was a Western. A Western? Uh, about the woman from Holes <laughs> that kisses all the men before she kills them. The lady with the... Uh, I was wrong. Is that the... I write? That sounds like a good musical. That musical. I don't know what made me think that's what it was about. You talk about, about like, the lady that like runs the camp? <laughs> No, the the woman like when they go oh, back the in flashbacks. time that's in love with Sam. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it could be like kiss me, so. Kate. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she's kissing people. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, kiss me, Kate, and Taming of the Shrew both had really um, good insights into what was going on post World War II in America. But also, it really reflects today's issues you know things like roe v wade uh equal pay for women women in the workplace domestic violence all of these things which are still issues today um so in the chapter uh shapiro uh discusses taming of the shrew and how it was not really produced in the u.s until the 19th century and that's when it started to come back a little bit more um and it was produced in a very what some would call traditional way you know Kate does her submission thing she's beat down beaten pretty aggressively um in comparison to how people stage it today I mean the violence was pretty aggressive one thing that was really interesting in the chapter is like because I the the very opening like paragraph of the chapter he's talking about that and he's talking about he compares the uh, Petruchio's treatment of Kate to like CIA like 
black sites because he's talking about Shakespeare knew that like the way to like disorient someone was to deprive them of food and sleep yeah. and like it was just mm-hmm. like break he them. doesn't dig much yeah. into that into the chapter but it basically just opens like hey this is uh how taming of the shrew compares to like torture i don't know it was just a very like intense opening of the chapter I think this is why a lot of people don't like that play is because the whole play is psychological warfare on Kate. And then it just sort of like wraps up with nothing, you know, no discussion of what's happened to her. She doesn't really get to have any say. She just has her one last soliloquy hello, about uh, how she's that's her husband and she should obey him. And it's one of the most difficult things to stage, I think, even to this day. Because we all want to believe that uh, Shakespeare was a feminist, but then you you look at a play like this, and it's when you when you have to stage a production, and like the first discussion on the table for the theater company is how do we do this without, you know, making it uglier than it has to be. It's kind of you know like a, a red flag, so to speak. I think. Yeah, how do you stage this production without sending women back 200 years? Because that's really, I mean, that's the play. And people can say that he meant it however, and you can stage it however, but I think at the end of the day, the play is just about a woman being beaten down until she just gives in because she's tired and hungry and sick. But wasn't he writing in the beginning of the chapter about how even Elizabethan audiences probably wouldn't have... Um, been as comfortable with this as like a as like a American man would be a hundred years ago. I mean, yeah, and that's fair, I think. But I, I still have my questions about yeah, it. Yeah, why? We need our time machine because I would mm. be really curious to see how Shakespeare mounted this. And I guess the other thing to look at is that oh, it wouldn't have been a woman. In this role. True. Right? It would have been a man. And so how does that change how you see the play? You know? Yeah. And in a little bit, we're going to get into more uh, deeper into Taming of the Shrew. But it's interesting, too, because both Shapiro in this book and just from, like, real-life experiences of, like, us being in productions and seeing productions, there are a lot of different ways that this play and that ending get interpreted. And I think that is like it can change the core takeaways of the play so i'm really curious as to mm-hmm. like what from us the standpoint of shakespeare and his troupe at doing that play if it was played straight to the text or what sort of like what those audiences would have taken away and what from like an actor director standpoint back then they would have been wanting the takeaway to be there's one production of Taming of the Shrew that Shapiro specifically talks about, and that is with uh, an actress named Fontaine and her husband Lunt. Uh, and this production was staged in the 1930s and is one of the first recorded instances where they sort of like change that narrative at the end of the play. And it's not about Kate submitting to Petruchio, but it's more about her letting this one battle go in the longer war of their marriage. And they say this is interesting because uh, Fontaine and Lent were husband and wife. And so the dynamics between the two of them were a lot different in this production than maybe you might see from two actors just meeting each other to do the production. 
Um, and Jess, I know you've been in several productions of the Taming of the Shrew. Do you want to talk a little bit yeah, about that? Yeah, so, um, well, like, the Lunt and Fontaine production, just reading about it seemed interesting. They talked about how it was almost, like, farcical. Mm -hmm. It was very violent. It was very active. Um, and, yeah, so there's so many different ways that I think this play has been done. Um, but it's so... Taming of the Shrew, of the first three Shakespeare shows that I ever performed in, Taming of the Shrew is two of them. So wow. I have a lot of experience with this play. Um, mm -hmm. But it was just really interesting to me comparatively to like do them kind of close together like that and just see the different takes, especially on the ending um, and kind of Kate's arc. Uh, because the first time I did it, and I think this is the one way where the ending isn't depressing as hell um so in this production the actors had almost this like mutual respect and almost became equals at the end i think they saw each other almost as like challengers to uh each other's sort of difficult nature i think they're both viewed as very like difficult people by society petruchio he's really immature he shows up to his wedding in like ridiculous outfits kate isn't seen, seen as the typical like submissive sweet woman like her sister is um and so at the end uh these two actors played it almost as if this was a game and they're taking that sort of competitive nature they had with each other and using it on everyone else because at the end they have this little bet who can get their wife to do something for them and you have the first two wives and they're like no i'm not going to do that and then kate comes in with this big monologue which is like highly criticized uh, so in this one production, she it was very tongue-in-cheek. It was very much like Petruchio was in on the joke, Kate was in on the joke, and they're kind of like, this is how we win the bet. This is how we, like, we kind of just, like, prove Kate's a changed woman. But there was, like, a mutual sort of, like, joke or almost, like, jest about it between them. So I feel like mm -hmm. that is a take. At the end, you're almost, like, you're not really rooting for them because they're still – like Petruchio has still been terrible this whole time but I feel like if there was one way you, where you might be okay at the end it's this way and then the other production um, was a more traditional take but it was also very uh, focused on so for example like James Shapiro said one of the productions um, you know it's played where Kate is like she's seen as the ideal woman at the end like oh this is how women are supposed to be so in this production um like you see kate as she played it as very like this is a terrible relationship she feels stuck i feel like she is for delivering that monologue as she like has to she feels pressured to she's in an abusive relationship um and there's this scene where petruchio tells her to throw her hat on the ground and she does so that production ended um i played bianca and I went to pick up the hat at the end, and I put the hat on her head, and then all the, the, the women in the cast kind of come together and have that moment. So there's this little bit of Kate stuck in this relationship, but she still has the support system of her sister and the other women in the play. So those are two, like, polar mm. opposite takes at the end of this play. And just from reading this chapter, there's even the three he described are different than the two I just did. So, like, that's why it's just fascinating to see, like, how would it be originally presented when Shakespeare wrote it? Yeah, I think I'm the first person to say I don't really like this play. Mm. I avoid it. 
but there's a lot of different ways to put it on. Um, there's this teen Canadian teen show called Degrassi. Oh my god! Uh, and in this show, they have to do scene work from Taming of the Shrew. Ew. And they do the scene where one of the kids is dressed as a housewife. You know, she's got her apron and a dress and, like, the perfect string of pearls. She looks like that 1950s ideal woman. And Petruchio is the husband, right? He's, like, got his suit on, the tie, whatever. And he comes in and they do this scene where he's saying, you'll be a good wife, Kate, submissive. And he is being, uh, he's abusing his wife. And I'm sure there's been productions like that, and I could see how you could play that last monologue straight the same way you're talking about, Jess, but you have to build it to that where Kate is a beaten woman. You're not saying it's okay, but this is what happens Mm -hmm. when this is what's going on. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of levels to this. You just have to really be willing to dig into yeah and it's not it's not the best i definitely don't think it's the best shakespeare i don't think it's it's definitely not a favorite um but i think Mm -hmm. if the value in putting it on is from that directorial standpoint of like what can we say about the bad things that are happening in this play rather than like the bad Mm -hmm. things are okay and we're just doing this play as is and we don't have any thoughts on it you know which is most productions you know exactly but especially with material like this does anyone have women of will yes i do i haven't read it in a long time i didn't even read it cover to cover (gasps) don't tell tina um (laughs) but (laughs) do they talk about teaming in that book much oh i'm sure they do i think there's a chapter you should Mm. yeah hey that's uh Mm. that's an idea let's bookmark that (laughs) let's put a pin in that one because the one thing i do remember and i don't know if i dreamt this up but does anyone remember tina packer who for listeners is um she's still the artistic director probably um at Mm -hmm. shakespeare and company which is um one of the better best shakespeare companies in the country they're in massachusetts um something about like kate walking petruchio in on a dog collar does anybody know what I'm talking about? She did. You know like what? I have thing. the book right behind me. Yeah, right. Let me grab the book and see if that's in there. She does not do a chapter just on really. Oh, she hates it that much, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all yeah. do. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the best. Uh, but still, a great book if you guys are looking to learn more about the women that William Shakespeare writes about. Um. I mean, speaking of more of the women and adaptations of Taming of the Shrew, uh, one of the more famous adaptations that changes it but keeps the core elements is the musical Kiss Me, Kate. Yes. Which hit Broadway in 1948. Connor, do you want to tell us what that's about? Yeah, and, and I really had to learn a lot about this because uh, my degree isn't in musical theater and I'm not very good at it, so I never really had much of an interest in it. This is really interesting. And I, I like what's being done with it now. It's it's almost like 80-some years old now. And so, mm-hmm. um, as you can unfortunately imagine, some of the stuff is, is a little dated. Um, but the general shape of it is that it is a play within a play, just like Taming is. Um, but this is a... We're following a production of a play. Kind of like Birdman, if you've seen that. And um, so we're following mm-hmm. the cast of Taming of the Shrew. 
and the director producer of the play of the of taming of the shrew within the play his name's fred he's he's got this um wonderful idea to put on taming the shrew and somehow his uh ex-wife gets casted as kate opposite him who's playing petruchio so it's a pretty ugly premise to begin with um but then things get messy because he starts pursuing the actress that's playing bianca her name's lois Lois's boyfriend shows up. He's up to no good. Um, he gets uh, Fred, this director, producer, Petruchio, wrapped up in some money issues, some kind of gangster problems. And then uh, Fred um, is is trying to, um, you know, kind of... It, it's a little trickier whether or not he's trying to keep his ex-wife Lily or push her away. He kind of goes back and forth throughout the musical. But he accidentally sends Flower to Lily, his ex-wife, who's playing Kate. And uh, they were meant for Lois, who's playing Bianca. And uh, that causes problems. And the violence outside of Taming, but inside of the inside of the musical, starts to begin. So uh, Kate, or Lily, who's playing her, comes on stage, beats Petruchio or Fred. And then um, there's this really infamous uh, scene where he responds by spanking her on stage. Um, which I'm going to talk about a production of this that does something with that. Um, but it was very shocking to watch as someone who had never seen this musical before. But anyway, so the gangsters that are involved with this whole money thing show up. It's this weird kind of whole uh, uh, sideline, uh, what do you call it, like side story that subplot, I didn't yeah. feel. With, yeah, subplot. I didn't really get much out of it. I don't know about you guys, but... Um, they show up looking for the money. Fred says, hey, you know, um, Lily, my ex-wife is mad at me because I'm going for this other woman and, and you know, I'm not going to have this money. I don't really know what you're talking about, but Lily needs to stay and do the show. So then these gangsters are threatening Lily to, okay, you have to, you have to stay and play Kate so we can get the money. Otherwise, we're going to, we're going to kill you. Um, but I think it's kind of done for laughs this this is i should clarify this is supposed to be a comedy i think the whole musical mm-hmm. um but then lily's new fiance shows up and he's trying to get her to leave and he's like well, what is this about this ga- uh, gangster plot line he doesn't believe any of this and fred shows up this is all like during a performance and he says okay well yeah you and your fiance loser go have fun um and then this gangster subplot disappears because the mob boss he turns up dead and they say okay well we don't need the money anymore so i'm i still don't get what the point of it really was um but mm-hmm. then lily ends up leaving but she doesn't leave with um fred or her new fiance but then she does come back and they make up on stage and they kiss and the other couple, uh, Lois and, and her husband, or her boyfriend, they kiss, and it's this kind of happy picture frame ending. And um, I think, I think at the time, what do you say, Amanda, 48? Mm-hmm. Um, this was kind of popular because there were a lot of new marriages in the Americas. Um, in the U.S., there was a ton of people who were beginning the baby boom as World War II was ending. And so a lot of people were probably looking for like some type of, of comedy to um, 
to dissect their marriage and the problems that they're having. But for modern audiences, it's I don't think many people find it really funny at all. Hero talks a lot about high divorce rates at this time. Mm. Uh, and how the U.S. government was really pushing for people to not get divorced. But there were all those wartime marriages, you know. Everyone mm -hmm. thought they were going to die. So I think that has a little bit to do with it. Um, and also the people that were writing this, like a lot of them were homosexuals at a time. You couldn't be homosexual. So a lot of this, a lot of the original staging of it has more to do with like race and homosexuality yes. uh, and the violence that women were facing because everyone felt like they were stuck in these marriages that they couldn't get out I of. I guess I should backpedal. There, there are some funny parts. Like, to your point, um, there's mm -hmm. uh, a whole song uh, was where... Did this make it into the music or did it not make it into the musical where they're like, I just want a dick, 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 something, something, something. That's Tom, Dick, or Harry. That made it into yeah. the musical, but a lot of it they pulled out in mm -hmm. the 1953 in the movie? film okay. production. Yeah, but and yeah. so, like, one of the things Shapiro was really talking about in the chapter is how, like, a lot of the... So, like, Bella uh, Spiewak... Uh, sorry if I'm not pronouncing that yes. name correctly, yeah. but yeah. she's the playwright. She wrote most of it, although most people associate this musical with Cole Porter. Um, she also ironically faced a lot of sexism throughout her writing of this production she put mm -hmm. her husband's name as an equal partner of hers even though he wrote very little just because she thought the play would be better received but basically her concept was this backstage front stage aspect and the front stage is this like tr traditional 1950s american marriage submissive woman and that is the play taming of the shrew and then backstage, you have this integrated mm -hmm. cast. You have hinting at queer romances. You have um, all these other things where the women have sexual agency. And you have that kind of, like, contrast, which I think was the thing at the time. Like, obviously, it's dated, and, like, things are very different today. But I think that was the thing at the time where they're, like, pushing boundaries a little bit. And I think that sort of forced feeling at the end was because they felt this pressure to sort of tie it up in a bow to make it accessible have that happy ending have this couple together at the end have that sort of traditional like front stage view and the interesting i think bella was forced into that i think that. so too she had a i because he talks a little bit about her multiple endings that she wasn't yeah they did to have do. to like change the ending and then even went further mm -hmm. with the thing amanda mentioned the 1953 was it a film they sanitized yeah, the a lot of it. I, it was an all-white cast, so they lost the like integration aspect. I think they took out some of the like lines of the songs that may be seen as like queer. Um, so it almost loses that original concept of like the difference between like the backstage, front stage, the like what's accessible and like the more mm -hmm. like realistic picture. So I feel like that makes it even harder for mar modern audiences to connect with because it took out like the main sort of concept of it right it took out the the commentary yeah. and the shakespeare that's within the play within the play um is is kind of washed of kate's more arguably powerful moments um mm -hmm. I, I don't think that was on accident either and so i i remember just watching clips from this movie adaptation it, you laugh sometimes but most of the time you're just fine, kind of feeling bad for this character. No, for this woman, I suppose, is the way to say it. Yeah. I 
I think that the movie washed out a lot of that stuff to even make it funnier, to not yeah. make you think too much. And you just have these kind of doot-doot moments and catchy songs. And I think overall the musical is supposed to be a comedy, but I think at the end of the day it's it gives you more to think about than that which is what I think the play has sort of turned into. I think that's what Taming of the Shrew has become in our modern theatrical history, you know. So for hundreds of years we had Taming of the Shrew, and then someone said, oh, I know what modern audiences need. They need Kiss Me Kate, apparently. That, um, mm -hmm. And then um, as little as a few years ago, in 2018, 2019, uh, the Roundabout Theater Company um, did a, a production of Kiss Me Kate and um, it was directed by a man pretty much every member of the design team was a man and uh, but they, they did do something that I think is really kind of interesting um, they brought in this woman who is now the president of the Dramatist Guild of America, and her name is Amanda Green, and she is part of a storied theater family. Like her, I think her dad helped write the music for Singing in the Rain and things like that. Um, but she kind of took a, a new role in this 2019 production, where she made edits and changes. Um, from what I could tell, it was kind of hard to make edits and changes to what oh my gosh what's the couple's name that that did kiss me kate willie and fred yeah oh uh, sorry the lunch and fun oh, uh sam, sam and bell yeah and so th yeah, yeah. They, they couldn't really do much uh with what she and, and he wrote um because that's really well protected but what they it sounds like what they were able to do more of is change like the farcical or the physical comedy so to speak and reverse that on Petruchio instead of onto Kate or onto Fred, I should say, and um, and inject more Shakespeare. So they were able to bring back some of those lines that I was talking about that were omitted in the movie and in early productions of Kiss Me, Kate, um, so that mm -hmm. Kate had more of a chance to to stand up for herself and 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 be a, a full rounded character, a full rounded person. Um, yeah. And I'm, like, admittedly, like, don't know much about that production, so I'm curious how or if it works at all and how it was received. I know. I tried finding specific changes and whatnot. Um, like, for the only thing I could really find is that they definitely changed the spanking, which is probably the most, um, you know, un unfortunately the most iconic part of, the, of Kiss mm -hmm. Me, Kate. Um, and, mm -hmm. and so it made it um, an act of violence onto onto Petruchio, onto Fred on stage. And just surface um, level, I don't understand that. what the point of that would be or what they would be saying with that, uh, but I am I would, like, you know, I'd want to, like, see it first before I, like, totally judge it, yeah. but just on paper, I'm just like, what? What was the reasoning okay, behind what, that? What, it, what does it do other than makes us slightly less uncomfortable? Um, but the, right. the way it, I think that ending... Uh, she gets some of her speech back, and I don't I don't know if there are any recordings of this 2019 production. I couldn't find any, and so it's a little hard to say exactly 
what their take on the ending was. I think was, there's like a trailer for it, but there's not much in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I feel like in the last, I don't know, five, ten years, there's been a lot of productions that try to twist the violence, right? And, like, make Kate the one that's attacking Petruchio or make Petruchio's character a man or a woman and um, Kate's character a man Mm -hmm. just to kind of twist the violence. But I don't know that it makes the situation any... Right, and I'm not sure... Yeah, it's still domestic violence. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if Mm -hmm. it really says anything or, like, does anything very worthwhile i just to just to gender bend for the sake of gender bending i think you know like i said there are ways to do that play that change it up and look at it in a different way but i think just like let's just gender bend this so it's so it's a woman abusing a man instead i don't know that that is necessarily the way to make this play work but that's that's just my opinion Exactly. I, I kind of didn't yeah. like the way how they talked about their mission for doing the play was that uh, they're quoted saying they wanted to make it more accessible for today's audience. And I'm kind of always cringe when I hear that about Shakespeare. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... Because it mm, is accessible. Yeah, it, it, sh- it is accessible. We, we all can understand what's going on. Um, and I, kids understand what's going on. And I, I think like shying away from the discomfort is not the way to necessarily make it accessible. I think the way to make it mean something to modern audiences would be to like show the discomfort and let us sit with it rather than be like the like 1940s production of this where it's like, oh, Kate's like an agreeable woman at the end and make us look at Kate and be uncomfortable and like Mm -hmm. sort of sit with that because like theater it can be uncomfortable and it can make you think about hard things but you know i think it needs to come from the standpoint of we understand what's happening here isn't right and then the audience also has to sit with that mm-hmm. right and i in my perspective at least that's sort of what theater is here for right it, it makes us watch real life unfold in front of you and for me the difference between live theater and like a film doing that is that you're in that airspace right like you're feeling every breath and every heartbeat in that moment with the actors so if you can make the production sit with your company it's going to sit with the audience and it's just that commitment that you all get to feel together in the room And I think if more people look at that play this way and maybe cut around some of the unshiftable pieces of the play, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and that kind of moves into our next topic, which is uh, how does this play fit into contemporary audience's view? Yeah, I mean, I think overall Mm. the chapter focus was marriage, which is really interesting to pick this play specifically because it shows such a damaged view of marriage and a topic that he focuses on early in the chapter this chapter to me felt almost like two parts um it talks a lot about mm-hmm. like world war ii's effect on traditional views of marriage and like si- shifting or it helped to shift social norms because women 
had to take jobs when the men were gone at war. So a lot of industries that were heavily men were now almost some even like 50% women. And um, how when people returned from war, you know, women were more financially independent, but then there was also pressure to like sort of give these jobs back to men. And that created this sort of like weird dynamic of like, you know, women's rights moving forward, but also insecurity around like patriarchy, around like the traditional family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think like for a modern audience, we still have some of those shifting things, especially like with some modern, I think really regressive policies that have been happening in politics, especially around like abortion rights. Um, There's this one article that Shapiro Mm -hmm. mentions um, where it was the one about the war on uh, what's it called by Willard Waller uh, his the war, like the on, war women, on the sexes um, and he has this whole paragraph about how yeah. basically like you know like it's not even he doesn't even see like women necessarily as like subservient it's like one of the lines is a man should not try to convince his wife that he is more intelligent than she is because that is very likely not true but it he has this whole thing about like it's a woman's obligation to like bear children and like keep the race going and like women have to do that like if a man has to go to war a woman has to stay home and have kids like that's that's like his take it's really there's some really horrible things in there but I think that kind of like does tie into like today because there are still people unfortunately in 2022 are like well yeah woman's obligation is to have kids so Mm -hmm. and be at home with the kids you saw this a lot during covid Mm -hmm. where when kids couldn't go to schools or daycares like women were forced out of the workforce because they had to be at home to take care of their kids and it set a lot of women back or it put a lot of women in bad positions where they were stuck at home where you know potentially there was domestic violence happening and these things and they didn't have a place to escape or the people to talk to right and Um, I think so I mean a lot of it rings true and I think societally like like in that exact like situation I think societally like if a man were to do that it's seen as almost heroic but like a Mm -hmm. woman it's just seemed like no that's what you do and that's just the expectation and it's not like stepping up or like giving Mm -hmm. up something or sacrificing something it's like no that's just what you're supposed to do Mm-hmm. Someone mentioned that the divorce rate really spiked after World War Two. Yeah, it was. Uh, what did he say? It was like almost doubled or tripled in like 1946. You saw the divorce rate go way up, which uh, brings its own set of problems for women who want to have some kind of independence because women weren't allowed to have their own bank account till some stupid year like 1970. No, no, no way, not that what? late. Yes. Say psych. No Now I feel like it was the nineteen seventies that a woman could have her own bank account. So how do you like? Let's see. So you just can't be single then if you're a woman. You just like there's just no option because you can't even have money. Like what? That's insane. There were some instances in which women could have their own account. Oh, I'm sorry. It was the nineteen sixties. That's still too late. Still. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I just rewatched Mad Men, and, like, a lot of these women were afraid to get divorced because you don't have any rights to the kids, no rights to the house. Like, in over half the cases now, women get their kids, right? But 
prior to like the 1960s, 1970s, the men almost always got the kids unless they didn't want them and gave them to the women. Um, But the war, um, or World War II, Elizabethan England, those eras in history probably... um, What was my point with this? It was that, yeah, I, I think it makes sense to me that there's a big boom of divorces after World War II because, to your point, um, lots of men were overseas fighting, and so lots of um, workforce divisions were filling up with women, and they were finding financial independence. Does that sound right? And then they were either mm-hmm. subconsciously or consciously realizing that, oh, I don't actually need to, to be married to this person like the way I thought I did when I was becoming a young adult. I think a lot of that had to do with Mm. divorce rates, too. They didn't need to be supported by a man. But in order for the men to get those jobs back, the government really pushed um, for for larger Mm. companies to push women out, not pay them as much, fire them, whatever. Um, What I was thinking of is not bank accounts. 1974, women were allowed to have their own credit cards. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Double yikes. Pretty crazy. So, I mean, as as we've all learned, there are a lot of ways that Taming of the Shrew, Kiss Me Kate, all have little footholds and ties to even now. Yeah, and this, Which and is this book pretty is pretty crazy. recent, too, so it's really, like, I think Shapiro really focuses in the chapters on things that we can definitely find connections to, which is why this book is so fun to talk about and, like, Mm -hmm. relevant still. Um, Mm Because, yeah, every time we start a new chapter, it is just, like, it just, like, it's the wheels turning. It's, yeah. It's very eye-opening. And there are a bunch more. Yeah. I would invite our audiences, our listeners, to pick up this book and read along with us or read ahead of us. Um, But I think we're really Mm -hmm. enjoying these discussions and we'll probably continue doing things like this in the coming months. Absolutely. And if you have favorite chapters of this book that you want to have us talk about, feel free to send them to us via email, Instagram. Yeah. We're even on Twitter, (laughs) even though I'm not a fan of the new management, but we're there. (laughs) Yes. We're present on social medias. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for this pretty crazy discussion. Very eye-opening um, and learning that some musicals are not westerns, despite what you may believe for twenty-seven we all years of your something life. something new today, Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> and it's not about. I learned yeah. a couple new things. <laughs> no. <laughs> not about Stanley Yelmats. Oh, what a good movie. Well, we will see you all in February for our next installment. And uh, guys, we'll see you soon. Until next time.